0: In the previous parak, Parak Yud Gimel, we discussed the, the, the Navi related the crossing of the Yardain by the Jewish people, the crossing of the Jordan, the splitting of the Jordan, and the crossing. In this parak, Parak Dalad, the Navi continues relating what happened at the conclusion of the crossing and the aftermath. Parak Dalad, Pasuk Aleph, Ayikasher Tamu, Kalagoy, Lavaras, He when the nation concluded crossing the Yardain, The Rashem, Yoshua, and Yomar, and Hashem commanded Yoshua as follows. Take from the the nation 12 people One man per shavet From each tribe, each of the 12 tribes Command them as follows Carry from out of the Yardin, from within the Yardin, from the place where the Kohanim's feet stood, either from directly under the feet, they lifted their feet and they took stones out from underneath or from nearby, the, the general area where the Kohanim was standing. Commentaries offer different explanations. Take out 12 stones, and carry them out with you, place them, you will place them in your lodging, where you will lodge tonight. Later in this parak, the Navi says, They camped in Gilgal, and that's where they placed the stones. So they were supposed to carry out twelve stones from the yard. These twelve people, there's a there's a debate among the commentaries whether these are the same twelve people that were mentioned in the previous paragraph in Paragimel when the Jews prepared to cross the Yarden. So Yehoshua called the people together, Yehoshua Yisrael, He told Yehoshua told the people, "Come here, come near me." Hear the word of God, and he gave them instructions for crossing the Yardin And he said, in, in, in the course of that, in the course of that discussion, he said, Take twelve people from the tribes of Israel. Ishachad, ishachad Take twelve people, one per shevet doesn't say there what those people did. It just said, take 12 people, and he goes on describing the, the procedure for crossing the Yardin. The question is, are these the same 12 people who we're discussing here, who were supposed to take stones out of the Yardin and place them in their lodging? Some say yes. The Radoch says yes. The Radoch says that the Pesach Bays and Gimel, where, where the end of Yeshua Aleph, Roshan, Yoshua, Lamer, Hashem told Yeshua, take 12 people and command them to take the stones out. This is a parenthetical. It means that, an earlier Hashem had told Yehoshua to appoint twelve people, which he did back in Paragimel, and now those twelve people. The narrative continues. They're supposed to take the stones, and uh, and 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 they take the stones out, and they place them in the, in, in in Gilgal. That is the that is how the Radak understands these Psukim, That. Now, when, when, when Yeshua instructed the people in Pasikdalad, it says, Yoshua shnei Yeshua called the twelve people, Asher Hechem ibn that he had designated prepared from the B'na Yisrael, ishachad ishachad one man per Shevet. These are the people who we first were introduced to back in Perigimel. There it didn't say what to do with them and left it hanging. Here the Navi elaborates and clarifies those twelve people who we mentioned earlier. The instructions are they should take these the stones and carry them out and bring them out of the Yardain where it would be a memorial for the crossing of the Yardin. Others learned differently. Others learned there were actually two sets of twelve people. There was one set of twelve people, the ones mentioned in Paragimol. Their job was not to do anything. Their job was just to witness the crossing of the Yardin, to be a kind of formal, uh, designated grou- group of witnesses to to attest to the crossing of the Yardin. They were just supposed to be a formally appointed witness to the great miracle. And in Arpasik, there were different twelve people. There were a new set of twelve people who were appointed to take the stones out of the yardin. Okay, one way or another. So these 12 people were taking stones out of the yardin. Yeshua called them, one for shevet. By lem Yeshua and Pasakeh, Yeshua told them, If rule of Hashem pass by the yardin. pass, continue, past the past past the pass the, oron, the of Hashem into the Yardin each man carry one stone on his shoulder each one should carry a stone what does it mean past the Aron past the Ark of the Covenant where were they where was the Ark Rashi says that the, now they should enter the Yardin and, 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 and cross over to where the Kohanim stood the, the Radak says that Yehoshua Yeshua had remained behind. Uh, as a leader, he wanted to assure people that the Yardain would stay, would stay split, that it wouldn't come crashing down on their heads as they crossed. Yeshua said, Look, the, in the previous parish, the Kohanim entered the Yardain, the Yardain stopped flowing, and water began to pile up, and the downstream water flowed away, and the Jews crossed the Yardin. Yeshua said, I'm staying behind. I'm staying with. I'm, You'll see. I'm staying behind. I'm I'm guaranteeing the water is going to stay where it's supposed to be. You all cross, and I'll, I'll and, and, and don't you think I'm going to cross, and you'll all get stuck behind? Yeshua stayed behind until the entire nation had crossed. And normally a leader goes in the front, but that's when you know, the danger or the problem is in the front. Here the issue was maybe the army would 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 stop and and cover it and. Uh, and, and and come crashing down. Yeshua stayed behind to assure them that everything would be okay. After everyone passed, then Yeshua finally crossed the Arjun as well. And Yeshua had these twelve people with him. So after the Doc explained, so after everyone else had crossed, he told the twelve people, "We're going to go across now, and you're going to go and, and reach where the Canaanites are, and then you'll take the stones and cross, and I'll cross, and then and then that will be the end of this uh, the end of this episode." Yeshua explained the reason we're taking these stones, Lamantia in order that this shall be a sign in your midst, a sign of what what the great event that happened on this day. Your children will ask you, Mahar, on a later date." They'll see these stones that are set up as a memorial to say, "What's the story here? What are these uh, what, what are these stones doing here?" And you will tell them, "The waters of the Jordan were were severed. They they were split." They, they, they were split in, uh, in, in the presence by the cause of the, the Ark of the, the Covenant to the Lord when you cross the Yardin the waters of the Yardin will split and these stones will be a memorial for the Jewish people forever, for eternity about what happened on this uh, what happened on this great day well, well, It's an interesting question. The, the question is whether the people who were designated, do we know anything about them? We know in various places in the Chumash that there were 12 people designated to our name. To, it says they were the heads of, sometimes they were called Nasim. sometimes the Maraglim were called, uh, they, they, they were illustrious men, they, they, were, they, were, they were men of uh, not, noteworthy men, Shame and, and so on. With these 12 people, do we know anything about them? Do we know their identities? Do we know if they had. Uh, Prominent positions and in, in, in beyond this event. It's a good question. I don't know. I didn't see anything about. I didn't see anything in the commentaries I looked at about who these people are. The circum don't tell us very often the madrasham connect people to give us names I, I don't know I did not get a chance to check the madrasham and see but it's an interesting question I don't know well, one would think they probably chose people as uh, if they were going to witness it or if they were going to do this great act one, one, one suspects it was an honor or it, it was, it was uh, if they were going to be, 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 be witnesses they were people who's, who were respected or who were looked up to but yeah it's an interesting question I don't know I, I, I didn't see anything about the especially if you're saying there's one group of people that oh. we right if there's only one group they were very significant, so it would, uh, right, interesting question, I don't know. That's also a good question. How big were the stones? I was wondering about that myself. It says they carried the stones on their shoulders. It says they were instructed to, it says they were instructed to carry the stones. It says, uh, it says that they carried them al-shikmo, they carried them on their shoulders which would imply that they were heavy uh, you know a, a small rock you could just put in your pocket or carry in, uh, carrying in the palm of your hand I don't know we'll, 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 we'll see we'll see, we, uh, we'll see if we we'll see if uma, we, we'll that... see if we um, w- w- yes yeah. that the na of the, 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 the tur on the rocks like um, yeah Right. So the so so, so Simcoe is referring to something that we're going to learn about. Uh, we're going to learn about, I believe, later about uh, about, uh, about the Torah being written on the stones. I don't actually remember at this point whether those were these stones or different stones, but the, but 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 the word the, the Torah was going to be written on the stones. So the question is, right? So right? So there may have been multiple sets of stones. We'll, we'll have to see that I think in the later procum about about writing the Torah on the stones. If the Torah was written, the Torah was pretty large. It would have to be pretty large stones to fit on them. It may have been so, a nice. An and the Torah was written in seventy languages, which would mean, according to the Midrash, at least, which would mean there were even more space on the stones. The question was: Was it an ace? Was it? Did, did they do it natu- naturalistically? If it was an ace, still, I think Simcha noted that uh, that that many of the commentaries tell us that Hashem. Hashem prefers to minimize the miracles, so that at least they would pick large stones to fit as much. To, even if they required an ace, but at least they would use large stones. So we'll, 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 we'll have to see more about that when we get to the discussion of writing the Torah on the stones. In the meantime, so in, in the meantime, we'll, we'll 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 leave that for now. The question of it's an important question, but yeah, exactly how big these stones were, not exactly clear from not 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 exactly clear from our parak. So if, if, if the, the question is, would have stones chosen to be evident that they came from the garden, water smoothed, or right? So that, so that, that.
1: Yeah. So that that is that that's an interesting question as well. The.
0: The psalm the, 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 the go on, just to quote the next to go the psalm go on and they say, And Yeshua did another thing as well. Besides taking 12 stones out as Hashem commanded him and, and putting them in the Malone in the place where they lodged, it also says he took 12 more stones and he put them into the Yardin, under where the Kohanim were standing, so he took 12 stones out from where they were standing and placed them in the lodging. He also put, took 12 other stones and put them in where the Kohanim, the Kohanim who carried the Ark of the Covenant where they stood, and those stones were there until this day. We'll discuss what that means in a moment. But in addition to the stones Yeshua took out, Yeshua put twelve other stones, other stones in. It's not so clear where he got that idea from. Hashem the the, the Navi relates, Hashem commanded him on the first set of stones to take twelve stones out and place them outside the Yardin, on the mullon, and, and the lodging. It doesn't say where he got this idea from to put twelve stones in. The Radak assumes that Hashem had instructed him to do that as well, because as a Navi, Yeshua didn't just uh, didn't just freelance. Yeshua didn't make stuff up. Anything he did, he must have been instructed to do by Hashem, or he, as we saw earlier, he inferred it from things Hashem told him. So the Radak assumes that he had the Radak assumes he had got that he had gotten this idea that Hashem had told him to do this, even though for some reason Navi doesn't tell us that Hashem had instructed him to tell Hashem had instructed him to tell uh, to do this as well. Why did he do this? Well, what, was the, what was the point of this? This wasn't going to be a memorial. It would be sung, these stones would be sunk under the Arden after the waters returned. So, so what was the point of these stones? So, First of all, the Radak says, when he says he put these stones under the the mats of Ragliakonim, he, he says he took these these second set of 12 stones and put them under where the feet of the Kohanim were standing, he says it doesn't mean, it, it means in the general area, it doesn't mean literally under the... It, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't mean literally under, literally under where the where, where the Calatum's feet were. It says it means nearby, and because the cladom didn't move, the, the didn't leave where the, the, once they entered the Yardin, They stood in one place until this entire story was finished. Until they finally left the Yardin, which is going to happen later in the later in this parent. So we couldn't have put it under their feet because they were standing there. They weren't moving. So the redak says that it means the it means he put it uh, near their feet. He put the stones near the general area we mentioned earlier where they were standing. I assume the same thing goes for the stones he took, uh, the stones he took out from under their feet. He didn't, he didn't take the stones out if they were still standing there. Again, I assume the Radhaq would learn that he took them out from the general area where they were standing. Rashi says, the, 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 the commentary here brings up shot from the Rashi as quoted by the Barbernell that these stones were put literally under the feet. Because after they took the old stones out, the, they, they would have sunk into the mud. They were standing on rocks, but if there were no rocks, they would have sunk into the soft mud in the bottom of the river. So they put the other stones in. To, they took the other, i guess they lifted up their feet. Some of the commentaries say that they actually did lift, they actually did lift up their feet. That that, that they raised their feet in order to, in, in order to be able to take the stones out and I guess to put the stones in. The this is the Matuda Stavert, I believe. He says, he says earlier, he says they, 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 that they actually picked up their feet. He says that they says that they uh, I, I I I forget who says that. One one of the commentaries says that that they actually lifted up their feet so they could so they could uh, so they could so they, so they could take these stones out and or put the stones in. So that's that that's what they did. That they uh, that, that that these stones were taken literally from under the under the Klanum's feet. In order that, they, that, in order that they could, uh, and they have to lift up their feet in order to do this. The, right, this is the Matudas David back on Pasu Gimel where it discusses taking the stones out from under their feet. So it says, they took them, he took the stones out, from where the kalanim's leg stood. It says there, from the, from the place the Kalanim stood. And he says kinasu reglan." they lifted up their feet and they took the stones out from underneath so the Reddock says they, that the stones were at least the stones that were put in were nearby weren't literally under their feet and the Matsuda Su says they lifted up their feet and the, and some say the stones were put the new stones were put in just to have them something to stand on so they would uh, so they would be able to have something to stand on. The al-Bagh, al-Bagh explains what was the purpose of these stones, not to prevent people from sinking, the al-Bagh says this is also a sort of memorial, not a permanent memorial, the al-Bagh explains, not really a memorial, but the way he explains it is that Yeshua had put these twelve stones into the river initially, he says it was, he says the purpose of these stones was, it was to, it was to show people where they were going to cross, where the water was going to stop, it was a marker, that they, that Yeshua said here is the river, the river's flowing, look, here is twelve stones, this is this marks the spot where the river is going to stop and stop flowing and start piling up and the, this is where it's going to be X marks the spot these stones mark the spot this is where you're about to see he wanted to make a big show out of the Nace so obviously it would be a Nace either way that would see the water stop but he wanted to demonstrate that he was in control it would be exactly as he commanded this is a theme that al says throughout this whole episode. He says that the, the impressiveness of the miracle was increased by the fact that Yeshua was, demonstrated he was in complete control, exactly when it would start, exactly when it would stop, exactly where he said it was. If it just happened in a general way, without him being specific about it, people might have thought that he was just predicting a natural phenomenon, like a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. There's it, it, a similar idea. In, back in the story of the Makos in Mitzrayim, it says that when, when Moshe asked Paro, when shall I make the frogs go away, Paro said tomorrow. Why did Paro say tomorrow? He was being plagued, uh, he was being maddened and, and incredibly uh, distressed by the frogs. Why didn't he say right now? So the, some of the Rishonim say that Paro still was, was considering, the fact, considering the possibility that Moshe was a charlatan, and Moshe was not actually producing the plagues. Moshe was simply predicting and was taking advantage of natural phenomena to, uh, and taking credit for them by saying, "I'm going to do it." Like the story in Connecting *King Yank- Arthur's Court*, where he scares the the fellow scares the natives by saying, "I'm going to turn off the sun." He knows there's going to be an eclipse, and he says, "If you don't, you know, do as I say, I'm going to turn off the sun." And then he says that he times that right before the eclipse begins, so that everyone thinks he's the one turning off the sun. So Paro thought that he could catch Moshe. The Moshe was really just. Uh, Timing his pronouncements to coincide with natural phenomena, so he said tomorrow. He tried to get it. He tried to throw off the schedule, and but really, of course, Moshe was in charge. Hashem was in charge, and Moshe did it, and Hashem did it. Here also, the Radak explains Yeshua was trying to show that that, that he wasn't just predicting things. It could have been a prediction as well. He could have just made sure to put the stones where he knew it would split. But the Radak says by, by showing that he that he knew exactly what would happen and where it would happen and how it would happen and when it would happen, he was showing he was magnifying the nation and showing that he was in charge. And that, that was what these 12 stones were for. But anyway, that's what the navi says. It says that the, they, they took 12 stones out to where the Kalanim were standing. They put them in Gilgal. There were 12 other stones that he put in the Yardane, According to the all Before they split the Yardane, they did that. According to this other shot, prevent them from sinking, it would have been as they took the old stones out, they put the new stones in. That's what they did, they, 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 that they put the 12 stones in the yardane. And then the Pasik says, ad hayom These 12 stones were there Ad HaYom Azeh, until this day. This pasuk has, Ad HaYom Azeh, uh, it's a subject of uh, considerable controversy, and there, there's, a very, there's a very fundamental question that the commentaries deal with. What do, what do we mean when we say Ad HaYom Azeh? Until which day? When was this pasuk written? Which day do they have in mind? So the truth is that, that this, this phrase of Ad HaYom Azeh actually appears a number of times in Sefer Yoshua, as well as in Sefer Shmuel, it appears a whole bunch of times. It appears in, it appears here. It says that these stones were in the yard in Adhayamazef. A few parakim later, when they did the great mass Mila, it says that uh, they called the place Gilgal Adhayamazef. In the story of Achan, it says they called the place Emek Achar Adhayamazef. In the story, in the story of the Givonim and Periktes, it says Yeshua placed them in the position of woodchoppers and and water drawers for the community for the mizbech. Hashem ad azea, until this day. Uh, later in Perikidala, it says Chevron was a, was a nachla for Kalev ben Yifuna. Uh, ad azea, until this day. Discussing the nachla of Bne Yehuda, the inheritance of Bnei Yehuda, it says. It says. Uh, it says they, they, they did not expel the Yavusi from Jerusalem. The Yavusi remained in Jerusalem. Until this day, It says the Kenani was in Ephraim. Half dozen tukim where, where different different uh, events or d- descriptions of, 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 of situations in, in Yeshua are described as being true ad until this day. So the question is, what does that mean? Until which day? When, when, what, what day does the navi have in mind? So the Masudas David, on Air er Pasuk, that the stones, he put the stones in the name they remained there, Ad hayamaze. Masudas David says something fascinating. Masudas David says that they were there, Ad hayamaze. He says the intention of this is Ad Olam. They were there forever, indefinitely. That... What does that mean? He says, "How does that? How does that fit into the words?" He says, "Because anyone who reads this pasuk, he called Kure a pasuk his mano, the navi was meant to be read by Jews throughout the generations. Whenever, whenever you read the pasuk, we read it in Maryland in the 21st century. Whenever you read this pasuk." You read Aday until this day. It's an open-ended uh an open-ended statement. Aday means until this day, until whichever day the Navi is being read. And this is a cloud Gadol Hanaviim. This is a great principle in the words in the Naviim. as we've seen. The, the, the phrase appears a number of times, half a dozen times in Yeshua, it appears in Sefer Shmuel, it appears in many places in Tanakh, and it says Matura, it's a cloud Gadol when the Navi, when, when one of the books written by the Naviim says Adha you're supposed to understand that it means forever, because that's when, the, the, whatever the book of the navi is read, that's when it means adayamazeh, and it was written binavuah, even though it was written a long time ago. It was written in the time of Yeshua. The Gemara says, as we'll discuss soon, but the, the navi wrote binavuah. This will be true adayamazeh. This will be true as long as people are reading this navi. This will be true. It's true adayamazeh. So that's a good question. I, I was trying to remember that whether, whether the phrase appears in the Torah itself. I am so wondering if that's like a general cloud that, that that applies any time. Uh, you know, right. So it's a good question. I'm not sure. I, 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 looked, at, I looked. I looked. I looked this up a little bit, and I, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember coming across one of the Torah, but I'm not certain about that. There, there's actually a book. There's, there's uh, there, 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 was a, there was a book published recently by a, by a Chacham named Rabbi Amnon Bazak. He wrote a book on issues of the Bible and archaeology and understanding the, the composition of the Bible, kind of a critical historical approach think, from a religious perspective to, to the Bible, to exactly how it was written and, and, and how it integrates with the findings of modern archaeology and so on, kind of a questions that, uh, that, that, that a thinking person, a student of modern modern uh, archaeology and history would have when reading Tanakh. And his book was actually titled Ad HaYom Azeh. It was, uh, I, guess it's, uh, I, guess, I guess it works on multiple levels. Tanakh has read Ad HaYom Azeh and also understanding a phrase like this, Ad HaYom Azeh, what does it mean? He apparently deals with this in his book, what, what Ad HaYom Azeh means. But the, so I, I'm sure he lists all the cases in Tanakh where we have Ad HaYom Azeh. I don't have the book. I'd have to check. But the, it appears a number of times, in, say for, in, in particularly it appears apparently many times, a high concentration of times, in Safer Yeshua and in Safer Shoftim. So Ah. I think it's the city of And I'm wondering if the name of the city still being Okay, it's a good question. I, 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 I have to check. I'm not sure if I, it's, it's worth checking, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah. So this is the Masuda Seven's approach, and Adayamaze means... Forever because as long as the Bible is written. The question is, is that really true? Are all the things mentioned in. Uh, it says the Yavusi were in. Uh, they didn't expel the Yavusi. The Yevusi are in Yerushalayim. Are there still Yevusi in Yerushalayim in the 21st century? I don't know. Maybe there are. I, mean, I don't know if anyone who self identifies as Yavusi, but uh, I don't know. So the question is, are the stones in the Arden? And who knows? I mean, I, I, I have no idea. If, I don't know if we know exactly where they crossed. I'm not sure if we know uh, how to find these stones. Again, how big were they? Are they still recognizable after all these years? I don't know. So I, I don't know. If, I don't know if, some of these things we just don't know, I guess. whether Some of these things, uh, again, like the Yavusi, I'm a little surprised if there are still Yavusi in Yerushalayim. In, in but this is the idea, this is the approach of the Masuda David that Adah Yomazem means indefinitely, forever, because the Navi is read indefinitely, read forever, and it means as long as the Navi is being read, this is true. So the question is when when the when the NUVI does not write out of the there. Right. Yeah. Does that mean it's not forever? I mean, there are certainly many things the Navi describes that are not forever. You know, they built a Mishkan here. They did this here. And those things didn't last. You know, they hundreds of years, and then they were destroyed. The Jews left certain places. Things did change. So certainly, there are, there are many facts that it describes in Navi that over the years, uh, over the years, the uh, circumstances change. So, can we automatically infer that any time the Navi does not say Adayo Mazeh? We should automatically assume that it was something that did not remain true forever. Otherwise, the navi so would have written a Azem." Interesting question. I don't know. Interesting question. interesting question. The Abarbenal, however, has a different approach. The Abarbenal has a somewhat bold and provocative approach to this question. And the Abarbenal's approach is probably more in line with modern academic. Is more in line with modern academic scholarship. Abarbenal says that "Adayom means that. This book was written at, 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 a, at a time later than the original events, and the author of the book is saying that the facts described in this book were still true at the time of writing. In other words, the, the question is when was Sefer Yoshua written? Who wrote Yoshua? When was it written? So there's the Gemara. The Gemara and Baba says that Yoshua himself wrote Sefer Yoshua. Yoshua up Sifro. Who wrote Yoshua? A fundamental question about authorship. We could have discussed this in our introduction to Yoshua. Who wrote Yoshua? The Gemara says, Joshua wrote his own book. The Gemara says, really? But it says that at the end of Yeshua, it says, but it says Yeshua died. So Yeshua presumably didn't write the words that, Yeshua uh, didn't write that he was dead, because if he was dead, he wasn't writing anymore. So the Gemara asks this question. The Gemara says, Yeshua wrote at least certain things, It's not clear if it meant the whole sefer or not. But, but it says but it says, it's in, all the way at the end of Yeshua in the last parak a few psukim before the end about a half dozen psukim before the end it says <inaudible> <inaudible> Joshua, the servant of Hashem died 110 years old they buried him etc and, uh, and so on so earlier it actually discusses what Yeshua wrote it says Yeshua made a covenant. He gave them. A, he made a final speech about uh, following Hashem and so on. And he and and it says, but Yeshua said Dvarim He wrote these things. He wrote uh, he wrote these things in a Sefer. So there, there's actually a question: What are Dvarim Ha'ela? What did he write exactly? It says he wrote them to Sefer Torah Selokim. He wrote something in Sefer Torah Selokim. Some say that means that he actually that. So some say that he means he actually wrote something into the Torah of the Chumash. Some say the so last eight took him of to the Torah say. after Moshe died. V'yomas, it says V'yomas Moshe, we read at the end of his Some say Yeshua wrote that. Again, Moshe didn't write it after he was dead. Some say Yeshua wrote that. Another opinion says no, that uh, Moshe himself wrote it in, in a prophetic manner. But uh, one opinion is Yeshua wrote that. That's what it's talking about over here. Some say he wrote the Pasha of the. Some say he wrote the parsha of the Aray The. So there, 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 are different, there are different explanations exactly what Yeshua wrote, but it's not clear that he wrote say for Yeshua. The Gemara, the Gemara in the Gemara in Bavastra says Yeshua wrote say for Yeshua. It asks the question, but he was dead. So what? Uh, you know, the, after he was dead, the last two took him to deal with his death. He didn't write that. So the Gemara says that that was that was that was finished by that was concluded by someone else. That was concluded. The Gemara says that. That the, that, that the Gemara says that, it, you're right, Yeshua wrote most of his Sefer, but he didn't write the... That 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 that, 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 that... 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 that you're right, he didn't write that last section, the last section was finished by... it says, it says who, who wrote the last section? It says it was finished by, I believe, Elazar. It, 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 it says, Aske, Aske Elazar, it, 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 it says that somebody else Ask Elazar. Elazar finished it. Elazar the coin. Elazar finished it. For Yeshua, the last section was written by Elazar, but the bulk of the sefer was written by Yoshua. So, the Barbanel asked, if Yeshua himself wrote his sefer, most of the sefer except the last few took him what did he mean when he wrote Adah He says, because yeah, I'll talk about Yomazeh, that's their whole problem. My problem is all the Adah all these half dozen Adah what does that mean? We saw them. As soon says David meant it meant that this will always be true indefinitely for eternity, Rabbinel does not like that shot. He doesn't. He doesn't think that's the shot. He says "Adiyamazeh" clearly implies that it was written later. That it was written. That that the, that the text in question was written a, a good deal of time after the events in question. And Hanavi's telling you that was true. This happened way back then, and it's true. Adiyamazeh. So he says that clearly indicates Yeshua did not write his sefer. Who wrote his sefer? He said it was written. In his opinion, both sefer Yeshua and sefer Shoftim were written by Shmuel. Shmuel Hanavi. He lived hundreds of years later. After the time of Yeshua, after Sefer Yeshua, we have the period of the Judges of the Shoftim. That was a period that lasted hundreds of years, until Sefer Shmuel, which, which is the which is the which is Shol and David HaMelech, and then Melachim, which is Shlomo HaMelech, and all the later kings of kings of Yehud and Israel, That period of Sefer Shoftim, in between Yeshua and the first kings of Shol and David, that period of Jewish history lasted hundreds of years. And Shmuel lived at the end of that period, and he appointed the first kings of, Shmuel, of Sheol and David. So the so the Abarbanel explains that Sefer Yeshua was actually written by Shmuel. It was written hundreds of years later, and that's what he meant when he wrote Ad Yomazeh. When Shmuel wrote Ad he means until this day, these are events that occurred in the Yardane, this occurred hundreds of years ago, and the stone is still there, Ad Yomazeh. Just a b- mi- minor digression. I was on... In the summer, my family, we, 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 we took a, a vacation for a few days to West Virginia. So we were driving around the, the, the picturesque roads in West Virginia. At one point, an unplanned little excursion we took, we saw a bunch of tourist signs on the side of the road that says, you turn air, Fairfax Stone, you two miles down this road. We kept seeing signs for the Fairfax Stone. Fairfax, F-A-I-R-F-O-X. Fairfax Stone. So what is the Fairfax Stone? Okay, it's vacation. We we can, t- we can make a spontaneous little uh, detour and find out who or what the Fairfax Stone actually is. So we drive down this road, uh, one bumpy road, little tiny, you know, tiny country roads in the middle of nowhere. Eventually we reach a dead end and we see a sign pointing to our, a little unassuming, uh, not very impressive looking rock. That is the Fairfax Stone. So what is the Fairfax Stone? So apparently about uh, 250 years ago before the, the revolution, even there was a there was a man named Lord Fairfax. He owned vast portions of, the, of this area, much of the much of several states, Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania. I think much of much of the land at that time was his. So he had this massive holding of uh, of real estate in, the, in this in this part of the, the what now is the country and he ordered a, a major survey of his land to know exactly where his where his borders were he hired a professional surveyor to, to make a survey and uh, this stone he laid down was it was apparently a, an important marker in, in where his lands lay it later became the basis for the borders of uh, virginia i think and pennsylvania Excellent. There was this other guy who I thought he said that I thought he formed said that there that there was this other guy who who owned Tundle there was this other guy who owned Tundle and that and that and that marked the border between. Them. Oh, there were two rich people, maybe I don't remember that, but anyway, this stone was was an important. Um, it became the base. It became the one of the key uh, key anchor points for the borders of these various states later: Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia to right around I think where all three of the states meet so uh, so, so now that stone is a tourist attraction Ad Hayamazer that stone was set up apparently 250 years ago and the stone remains today, where the signs on the side of the road point you to the... So that's of, you know, time, but it remains, so. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it means no end, or it means when Shmuel, when, when Shmuel Hanavi wrote, wrote, wrote say for Yeshua, he wrote, you should know that the stones Yeshua put in are still here today. Well, whether that really means there was no end, like, like the and Debra, just means that a, a significant point, that they, they made it for 300 years, they made it for whatever time it was three, four hundred years It was still there in the time of Shmuel that, that's what Shmuel meant I, I'm not sure if according to this shot, it means that they will be there forever or Shmuel was just saying you should know they're still here today hundreds of years after the Yardin you know, these stones are still there if they lasted that long do we assume they'll last forever? maybe, maybe not I don't know but according to the but according to the Barbernel at least in terms of the, the language of the, of the text Yeshua wrote uh, the Shmuel wrote Adah uh, because he meant all those different events the Yavusi and Yerushalayim and so on all those different uh, historical points that are, that, that are made in Sefer Yoshua, and it says, Adi Yomazel, Shmuel was saying that these facts that are discussed in Sefer Yoshua are still true today, they're still true in the, at that point in time, but not necessarily, that I, I don't think necessarily according to this, it means that, they have, that there's any guarantee they'll be there forever. Now, Abab acknowledges that he's disagreeing with the Gemara. The Gemara says explicitly, Yoshua cuss of Sifro and does not bring a dissenting opinion. So the Barbernell admits that what he's saying is rather bold, and that he feels he can disagree with the Gemara. So the Barbernell says that yes, he says that he, he thinks it's okay. He says yeah, he, has, he has his arguments that uh, he has his arguments that that he's right, and he says and don't be uh, don't be surprised at me for disagreeing with the Gemara. He says because he says even though this particular point the Gemara brings no dispute, the Gemara records no dispute. He says, but in, in, the, in the same general Talmudic discussion about who wrote different sections of the Bible. We do find some disputes. We mentioned earlier, there's a dispute about who wrote the last eight sukkum of the Torah. Some say Moshe, some say Yeshua. There's a machlok about Eov. It says uh, it says who wrote Eov. Some say Moshe wrote Eov, say for Eov. Some say... Uh, so since Chazal, see, Barbernel says in general, Chazal did not have you know, wholly reliable, wholly, uh, you know, wholly accurate traditions about these questions. You see that because there is dispute about them. Therefore, I can have an opinion as well. The, the 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 Rambam actually has says, says something similar. The Rambam, when he talks about who wrote Eov the Rambam writes, I believe that he that the Gemara brings several opinions about who Eov was, when he lived historically, and uh, and who wrote the Sefer. And there's one opinion that it's a mashal that it's not a, it's not a, that Eov is not a historical narrative at all. It's a philosophical uh, it's a philosophical discussion of questions of uh, of, of God's providence and, and good and evil and so on. And it's just a it's not, it's not. It wasn't a historical uh, event at all. So Ramam says that he actually inclines to that view. And he says the fact that Chazal had so many opinions indicates that, uh, the, that the historicity of it is shaky to begin with because uh, if Chazal has so many different views as to who actually wrote it. It seems that, that it may not have been an actual historical event at all. So uh, Rappanel is saying something similar. That You see Chazal didn't have the most reliable traditions about these things because so they themselves disagreed about them. So I can have an opinion as well. I'm not sure how compelling that is. I mean, Chazal have arguments about uh, all over halacha, all kinds of things does that really mean that we can have our own opinions as well. I Anytime mean, Chazal, Hilchah Shabbos, Hilchah Kasher, is full of disputes about, in the Gemara and other posts, in the, in the Mishnah of the Gemara, about, does that mean we can have opinions as well because the Gemara didn't have reliable traditions? Of course not. I mean, the, we, we trust the, the Talmud, that the Talmud uh, gave us the, the opinions that they knew, and we, the most we can do is to decide among them as a matter of halacha. To say, well, they didn't have reliable traditions, we can just make up our own opinions as well about uh, the law is obviously not uh, Orthodox Judaism. So I'm not sure why he fails in this matter. He can just disregard Chazal, but that's when he fails. He says that he thinks that a fair reading of the psukim is, uh, argues powerfully for his view that, 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 that this Pasuk of Adah was written much later in the time of Yeshua, in the time of Shmuel, and therefore he disagrees with Chazal, who say that Yoshua wrote it. Again, it doesn't even, he doesn't even entertain the Mitsudas Hedavid's idea that it was written in the time of Yoshua but it meant Adah Yomazeh until uh, whenever you read the Navi. He, he understood that, uh, that the only reasonable way to understand the Pasuk is to say it was written later, and therefore he proposes that it was written by Shmuel Navi. Yes? Well, I mean, people, it's not a whole lot that Shmuel seems to write in his own book. Um, I mean, does he's just a, that's a big figure uh, that comes out. Sorry, so, right. So, mean, so, <laughs> so, 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 the question, the question is, how did he pick Shmuel? If it's Adiyamazeb, it was, it was clearly according to the Bar He feels he's demonstrated to his satisfaction. That it was clearly later than Yoshua. How did he get Shmuel? Maybe it was written uh, in the middle of the Shoftim. Maybe it was written some some other time. How does he know Shmuel? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure how he knows that. But I, I'd have to read the rest of the introduction more carefully and see if he gives any more guidance for how he picked Shmuel. It could be that he wants to put it before Sefer Shmuel, which was written later. And, and he discusses the next question. He discusses who wrote Sefer Shmuel. He talks about. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not ac- actually, I'm not exactly sure. Um, he, he, he actually sides with the view that Shmuel did write Sefer Shmuel, like Hazal say. So, yes, yeah, so I'm not sure how he knows that Sefer sure. Yashul also it was written by Shmuel. It's a good question. I, I'm not sure how he arrived at Shmuel in particular. Right. So will Right. I think Vimar talks about that as well. Yes. Ah, so it says Adiyamazeh about the appears in the Torah as well. So I, 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 I guess right. So I guess in the Torah's case, it, 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 it's easy to understand, relatively easy to understand, because the Torah was given at Sinai, which, which was again many hundreds of years after the events in Parashas in Parashas uh, Toldos. That that's Parashas Toldos. You're reading. Right, so the Matan the, Torah, the giving of the Torah at Sinai, clearly happened many centuries after the, after the events in Pashat Taldos. So it makes sense that, that, when, that when Hashem, when Moshe gave the Jews the Torah, they wrote Adah which could be interpreted simply. I certainly could have the Mesut approach, it meant indefinitely, but you could also say that it meant at the time of Sinai, which was written a while after the, which, which happened a while after the, the story in Pashat Taldos, it was still called that uh, adayamazet the, 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 pro, the problem with for Yeshua is that Yeshua was, according to Shephah, was written at that time, so it doesn't make sense to write Adah Yes? And also when Rochel dies, by Yatzeh, Yaakov, Yatzeh, 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 Adhayom, 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 so it's a similar language. Right. It's a universal meaning that Adhayom, you know, Right. So, right. so, the question is: Presumably, we should we should try to interpret all these different phrases of Adayo, Adayo, Maseh. Similarly, so Abba, Abba would probably take the position, right, that they were all they were, they were all written in books that were written down a long time after the events occurred. So, the, the so the Fumish was given to us at Har Sinai, at Har Sinai, at the forty years in the desert, which were hundreds of years after the events in Pasha's Toldos and the events in uh, in Parshas in, in Parshish a Yishlach, so it's, 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 and similarly, the the, the, bo- the books of Yoshua and Shoftim were written in the time of Shmuel, which again were hundreds of years after the events they described And Matudas um, David would say that <coughs> that uh, presumably all these all these phrases of, <coughs> of <coughs> all these phrases of Adayom and Adayom Azeh were were prophetic statements that these would be true, that these things would be true indefinitely. Kevarachel Is still called Kever Right, we have, we have a city called we have a city called Rechavos today. Right, I'm not sure what happened for all the hundreds of years in the medieval period whether it was ever a city called Rakhovets in that time. That's an interesting question, right? That's what we said. Is it really true that all these historical events, in the case of Rakhovets, that maybe it ultimately became true again like today, right? But I think they do try to name cities at least close to where they were uh, at the time of the of their existence in Tanakh. Yes, yeah, so that's an interesting question. Very good. Thank you for the thank you for those examples as well. Okay, so this is the opinion of the. Of the Barbonel that the Mitzuru the, David says they were there were prophetic statements that were written that they would be true as long as the Navi is being read. A Bar-Bunel says that there were statements that were written hundreds of years later, many years later, and the Navi is telling you that they, that these things are still true. at they're still true today. This, this, this ties in to uh, something I discussed at length in the in my share on the Parsha last week, where the. Where in Parsh Laklika the the Torah says that when Avram traveled through Eretz Canaan, it says Vaknani The Kenani people was then in the land. Later it says Vaknani Vahrizi the Kenani and the Prizi people. At that time, then they lived in the land. So various commentary struggle. What do you mean then they lived in the land? At the time of Har Sinai when the when the Jews got the Torah, they were still in the land. It's kind of the opposite question. There Adayama Yomazam implies that it was that it was written later, and here the point is, us uh, uz seems to imply that things were different then than they are today. At the time of Matan Torah, there were still, still Canaanites in Eretz Canaan. They, 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 they lived there until the Jews annihilated them. We're going to learn about that in Sefer Yeshua. But uh, certainly, at the time of Matan Torah, there were still there were still Canaanites in Eretz Canaan. So some of the Mefarshim have other Pshatim, Ben Ezra and Rashi bring different Pshatim. that Uz means that they had come there, that they had recently invaded. They had invaded previously. The land had belonged to the descendants of Shem. Now, Canaan, who came from Ham, and son of Ham, had invaded. So, Uz means as opposed to earlier. But the Ben Ezra also references a sod. He says, "Is also that there could be there's a certain mystery about this pasuk which he doesn't want to reveal." Those who understand it from he says, uh, what the Torah means by Uz, He says it's a it's a delicate matter, and he doesn't want to uh, talk about it. So, some understand it. Ezra to mean that this pasuk was written much later. This pasuk was written sometime many hundreds of years later where there were no longer any Canaanim in the, in the land. And it was an explanatory note that was added to the Torah saying that there were no Canaanim here now, but in the time of Abraham, in Lech Lecha, then there were Canaanim in the land. Then there were Canaanim Prizi, who resided in Eretz Canaan. And this Pasuk was written after Moshe Rabbeinu, was written many years later when there were no longer any Canaanim, after the Jews had expelled and annihilated them, there were no longer any Canaanim in Eretz Canaan. So that's a very provocative thing to do, to say that Psukim were added to the Chumash many years later. I, some, 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 some have gone so far as to say that the Benesra believed the entire Torah was of late origin that's obviously a, a theologically uh, unacceptable view but, but, but many a number of, of relatively mainstream thinkers have understood the Benesra to mean that even though the bulk of the Torah was given at Sinai but certain sukkim were added later as, as explanatory notes by later authors to clarify things in the Torah they, by, by neviim, not just, not just by me and you but they, they were added by neviim. Based on the Masora, based on the tradition, but that certain small explanatory notes—not not in the mitzvahs of the Torah, just in the narrative sections of the Torah—but that, but but that uh, some understood the we Ben to say that certain notes were written later, that certain circum of the Torah that seem uh, anachronistic that, that that don't seem to have ma- that don't seem to make sense to be written at the time of Moshe were actually added later. So that's similar to what the Bar says here. That here he says the entire sefer was written later. The entire sefer of, of, of Yeshua was written later as is evidenced by phrases like ad hayom and in the Torah the, the examples you brought of ad hayom you know, you know, you know, don't mean anything more than it was written at the time of the Torah as opposed to hundreds of years earlier but phrases like "us," when it describes things that used to be this way but are no longer this way those phrases indicate that at least those we're not going to say the whole Torah was written later that's that, uh, an article of belief that we have that it was given at Sinai but at least certain verses of the Torah were added later. Some actually say the same thing about, some scholars say the same thing about Yeshua. They say that even if, that even if we assume that the bulk of Yeshua was written by Yeshua at that time, just like Hazal said, the last two Tukim were, were added later, were added after Yeshua's death. Maybe, you know, again, a couple of these Tukim, were added by later Nevi'im, to, 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 to note that these events described in Yeshua were still true, it's also a possibility I'll call upon him, so in Nevi'im in, in and Xuvim the, 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 the theological issue is less, uh, is less acute. To say that so the Nevi'im parts were added later by other Nevi'im is not as provocative as to say that parts of the Chumash were added by later Nevi'im. The Chumash is, is fundamentally about Torah given at Sinai, so the, there, there, are, there are many, many Jewish thinkers who have absolutely refused to, to, to believe that any part of the Chumash could be added later. Or Moshe Feinstein uh, was very much opposed to this, he said it, absolutely not, it's, it's not because it's to say such a thing. Moshe Feinstein notes that Ibn Ezra himself at one point quotes another commentary who says that a certain section of the Torah was added later he says that you should burn the Sefer it's ridiculous he says Chas to say such a thing but some of the commentaries of Benezra explain that, that he's distinguishing between an entire large section added later and an individual passage an individual word, that Nebuchadnezzar is willing to tolerate an individual word added later, individual po- small, po- just a, a relatively minor addition to clarify something in the text. Some say Nebuchadnezzar was willing to uh, accept that could have been written later. But Moshe Feinstein himself says absolutely not, that that's that heresy that, that no part of the Torah was added later. But, uh, but this is actually a question. Even in the Chumash there are those who say that there were certain sections that were added later, but uh, here with regard to Navi, so again, the, the, the two approaches we've seen is, the, is, is on the one hand, that of Metsudas David, that it was all written at the time of Yeshua as per the Gemara, but that the, the Navi was saying prophetically this will be true as long as the Navi is being read and we have the and we have the and, and, the, and also, I would add to this, I would add to this that even though it's written in the past tense, the, the, even though the Navi says, the Navi says that the that these stones by that these stones were here Adayamazeh, So the the we we, we we mentioned previously, I think I forget where we had this, but we mentioned previously that sometimes in the Naviim, the Navi writes in past tense something that didn't happen until the future. Because, because the Navi has such a clear conviction of what, of what will occur in the future, to him it's as if it's, as if it's set in stone, and it already happens, he writes it in the past tense. So that, That's an idea that many of the commentaries... We had this just recently, I, I forget exactly where, but that the, that the Navi writes something in the past tense, even though it hadn't occurred yet, and therefore the... And therefore the... And therefore the... The Masuda it could mean something similar here also. He means that the Navi says the stones were here at Ayamazah, yeah? I Meaning, mean, he meant to say the stones will be there until the point at which this, at whatever point this text is read. But was, the navi was so clear; he just wrote in past tense. These stones were here. whenever you read this pasuk, they were here. The stones, or, or he wrote past tense because it's from the reader's perspective; they were here until this day that you're reading this. Either way, that's Mitzudas approach. The other approach is that of the Bar Benel that the, that Sefer Yeshua was actually written later. Sefer Yeshua, unlike Chazal, that it was written by Yeshua. Abarbanel believes that Sefer Yeshua was written by Shmuel hundreds of years later, and that's why Adi means that these things will remain true, Adi Third approach, I, I, I don't have a major commentary who says this, but a third approach could be, similar to what we said, the way some understand them, but Ezra, a third approach could be that the kind of compromise position, that the bulk of Yeshua was written by Yeshua, as Chazal said, but a few psukim, just like the last few psukim Chazal suggests, were written after Yeshua's death by Elazer, by another important figure, so too, perhaps it's possible to say that, that some of the anachronistic psikkim in Yeshua, like these psikkim of Adi Yomaziah, perhaps were added by another Navi after the, the composition of the bulk of the Sefer in the time of Yeshua.